just a privilege to be here with you, just to greet so many familiar faces, to greet you from your family, just up the street a little ways in Cupertino. As Ben said, we were part of a birthing this church together with you and the faithful leadership of Family Bible Church, who by great faith and grace and humility asked God to do something new here nine years ago, and, and God has done it. Uh, so we really do feel like family members with you, extended family, if you will. And even as Chuck was talking about church membership, uh, we've, I wasn't sure whether to stand up or not. I, I feel like I'm part of your, your family because we've just loved seeing what God is doing here among you and being a small part of that back years ago. And now, by extension, to celebrate with you when you have victories and to weep with you when you have tragedies and even though we're kind of distant relatives, uh, it's not that far, but we do feel a deep, deep sense of connection with you. And let me just affirm what Chuck said about that, the, the blessing of being part of that family. You know, you can, um, you can be a guest that's welcomed into a family. We had a boy at our uh, table recently, which, which for us is a big deal. I'm the father of four daughters. I see Steve here. I, Steve knows what I'm talking about. And uh, we had our first boy at our table. And uh, one of our other family members said, should we start praying for him? I said, not yet. He's not that close. Don't pray for him yet. (laughs) Anyway, you can pray for me as we're working through all that. But family really is important. And uh, we had a, a new members gathering at our house last Sunday night. And it was just a joy to see new, fresh people. And, and so some of you are new and fresh here at, at Neighborhood Bible Church. And so uh, I warmly greet you and welcome you in the family of God. It really is about that direction of spiritual growth and maturity, being a part of something that's growing and vibrant and really being committed to it. At Valley Church, we've been describing it in terms of, of taking steps of spiritual growth. And you really can't invest in something until you really commit. And anything that's worth doing is worth doing with commitment. And so that's our relationship with Christ, as Ben said, following him and walking with him. And uh, that takes place best in community. So if you haven't taken that step of maturity and growth and faith and membership, let me, let me encourage you to be a part of that. As Chuck mentioned, his point about accountability and leadership is one of those things that is part of being a family. Somebody said, oh, okay, I'm going to join the family. What does that mean? My family was a little, uh, was a little dysfunctional. We'd fight all the time, and, and we would argue, and those kinds of things. And, and that is part of family. But the difference in that sense, in the Christian sense, is that we're a committed family. With, we've got a Heavenly Father who, at the end of the day, he solves the disputes and says, now go make up and come back when, it's all, when you're all done, Right? And that's the same thing about the family of God here. And that happens uh, in the context of leadership. And so uh, Dave contacted me uh, a while ago and he said, could you come and speak about leadership? I was very excited to do that. In part because I feel like I've known many of the leaders who are here. Many of you new leaders are here since I've come. But just a deep investment and love for what God has done in the leaders of this local church body. So this message today is to you, church, but it's about leaders. 
And so what that means is, it's an opportunity for you to think about, well, what does the scripture say a leader should be like and do? And so there's a sense of accountability. There's a sense of what do the scriptures say? But then you also have your own realms and spheres of leadership, don't you? In your home, in your schools, in your place of work, in your neighborhoods, God is using you. And really, leadership is, is just influencing other people to move forward. It's helping people to accomplish things together that maybe they couldn't do apart. And so the sense of, of, uh, of application for all of us is, uh, is there. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're going to follow along in your outline, I apologize ahead of time. I kind of went crazy with the fill-ins this week. So uh, if, if you miss anything, just call it out and let me know. But, um, but we're talking about leading and following. And uh, as Ben said, following Jesus is the first and most important thing. And then in that context of family, or, or in the illustration that Peter uses here, in the flock, there's um, a dynamic of that that really kind of makes it all happen. And we can talk about leadership, we can talk about followership, when it's easy and everything's going well and the sun is shining, but then when those times of conflict happen, uh, you know what it's like in your own family, where sometimes you just need to say, look, I need to take a break and kind of come back, step back into this again and figure out what's going on. So, so let's read the scriptures here together, starting in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. So we're going to take a look at a couple of different notions here today. The first being the character and calling of a shepherd. Now, Peter was writing to a group of people who are suffering tremendously. They were under great persecution. They were being dragged off to prison. They were being martyred for their faith, not unlike what's happening in some parts of the world today. And so when he says, therefore, that we need to make sure we understand clearly that there is a, there's a tie-in to the first four chapters of this book, which are all about persevering and suffering. And I can see Peter, with this letter to this church, he would obviously come along and write another one and saying, now, now what's going to happen when I'm done with my letter here? You're going to have to continue on without my leadership. You're going to have to continue on without my guidance. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen through your leaders. And, and Scripture is clear. Scripture is pro-leadership. God has given particular people in the body gifts of leadership. He's given people the experience and the spiritual insights and the kinds of things that are necessary for leadership to happen. And so God is for that. We see it affirmed again and again throughout Scripture. So uh, Peter is concerned that this church body, that this group of churches would be able to carry on, and that happens through shepherds. And uh, again, the, the whole illustration of sheep and shepherds is nice on Christmas cards, or not Christmas cards, nice on birthday cards and Easter cards and that kind of thing. But when you really think about that illustration of sheep, it's not a very pretty one, right? Sheep are not noble animals. They're not very smart. They can't see very far. They're pretty much defenseless. They're easily flustered. If they don't get the right kind of food or if there's agitation within the flock, they don't lie down. I mean, it's a pretty good illustration, isn't it, for us, 
We can become easily flustered. We can become uh, upset and, and not work together. And so we need a shepherd. We need protection. So uh, Peter saw an urgent need for the care, for the protection, and the leadership of the flock of God. So notice, first of all, the character that, that Peter had. It says, it's a pretty humble inv- introduction if you think about who Peter was. Right? Peter was with the Lord. Peter was the one who was there, and he saw it happen. He walked on the water. And yet he just says, I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferer. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus just like you are a follower of Jesus. I'm a fellow sufferer. I'm a fellow believer. He says he's just like the rest of them. And he addresses yet then those elders and leaders within the church specific that's there. He says a fellow elder. And the New Testament pattern, we see it over and over again. In fact, we see it in every time a church is planted that elders plural, were appointed in the churches. Not a single time where a church isn't planted or mentioned that doesn't have multiple leaders. Multiple people that God has gifted and, and inclined and given the experience to guard and to guide the body. Uh, one of the reasons we have appointed multiple elders and multiple preaching pastors in churches because we believe it's a plurality of leadership that, that guides a group. And, uh, and he says, I'm, I'm just one of you. And I think he does that intentionally because, honestly, leadership is, and, and ministry is a pretty easy place to get a proud heart. To kind of believe the press, if you will. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was wonderful. It's the story of a preacher who, at the end of a service, was standing there greeting people. And, and a lady came up and said, oh, pastor, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. In fact, you're the best preacher I've ever heard. In fact, that was just an amazing... You are an amazing man. And he quietly shook her hand and said, Thank you, ma'am. Satan's already told me all of those things this morning. Uh, it, it, it's easy to kind of get puffed up. And Peter goes, No, no, no. I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm in the mix with you. Pastors are, are real people. Elders and leaders are real people. I used to think my pastor wore a tie all the time. I remember when I became a, a Christian... And uh, I met uh, Marvin Rickard for the first time. He was my, my pastor and over at Los Gatos Christian. And I remember, I thought, Marvin wears a tie 24-7. I mean, he sleeps in a tie. Every time I'd ever seen him, I thought he slept in a tie. You know, I thought if I, if I saw him, you know, working on his car, changing the oil, he'd have a tie on, right? And I saw somebody at Costco one day, and I had on a pair of jeans and a T-shirt and a baseball cap, and they said, I didn't recognize you. I said, well, this is the real me. That other guy, I don't know. But I, I, you know, we're real people. John 21, 15, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Now again, you've got to remember the context. And he tells them three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times for three denials. Peter had the most colossal failure of any leader you can imagine. I mean, he was the bottom of the barrel, the dregs. I mean, you know, one step up above Judas, really. And yet the Lord Jesus so patiently and gently restored him to a place. And so Peter was not coming at this of, you know, I'm the rock, you better listen. He was coming as, I'm one of you. I get it. I understand the struggles. I know the heartaches. And leadership is not easy. There's a, a phrase called herding cats. Have you heard that before? 
you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's the way leadership is sometimes, right? It's, it's, it's not easy. I was over at the Cooks the other day, and, and Jenny had about, I don't know, 50 kids there, it seemed like. And they were just running all over the place. Kids from the Carlsons were there, and the Cook kids, and neighborhood kids, and strangers off the street, I don't know. And I was like, whoa! And Jenny was just cool, calm, sipping a latte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Leadership is tough. And so there is a character that's, that's required for that, and humility is a key part of it. But then notice the calling, the character and calling. He says, I exhort you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so shepherding involves some elements that are extremely important to see. There's three terms in the Scriptures that are used for leaders. One of them is, presbyteroi, which is the word we get elders from. And this indicates their status. So these are not to be new believers. These are not to be people that have have just found out about the faith. They're to be people, could simply mean older or old. That's that's encouraging, isn't it, Kel? My old friend, Kel. So, uh, but it's definitely about leaders. It could be about old people in general, but it has this pastoral sense that there is a, a qualification. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. We also see the word episkopoi, which is the word bishops that we get from. I wouldn't mind being called bishop, the right reverend bishop, Kurt Jones, if you, if you, if you want to. It, this describes their function. Again, it's, it has to do with the idea of their actual actions of overseeing of guarding and guiding, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then the word poemas, which is the word for shepherd. And that has to do with the heart, the, the, the motivation, the attitudes and the manner of what a shepherd is supposed to do. We see this word in Revelations 2.7 where it says he will rule over them. There's that caring sense of, of watching and guarding and guiding. Now let me just pause right here for a moment. And some of you may be thinking, say, well, uh, what about women in leadership? And uh, this is going to get into hot water, and if you have any further questions about this, you can talk to Kel, because he's your elder. So I'll throw this hand grenade out there and just let it go where it goes. At Valley Church, and as I read through the Scriptures, I see spiritual gifts, including the gift of leadership, being given equally, regardless of gender. Uh, we see the gifts of teaching, we see the gifts of leading, we see the gifts of, of shepherding in all contexts for both men and women. But we don't see any indication in any of these three particular terms of women in this role. Now, why not? That's, a, that's another sermon for another day. We do see diakonos, that is the female version of the word deacon in Scripture. And so at Valley Church, we have men deacons and women diakonoses. And so, uh, or deaconesses. And so, um, we, we do believe that, and, but, and yet scripture does seem, as a Bible church, as an independent, non-denominational Bible church, we say, what does scripture say? And, and that's where we've gone. So, Cal, I'll leave you to deal with, with, with the fallout of that one. Shepherds have sheep on their hearts. Shepherds love the sheep and they care about the sheep and they seek the sheep. I saw a little phrase that said, shepherd's credo is lead, feed, and bleed for the sheep. As we think about Scripture, and John 10 is a, is a wonderful passage to think about, Jesus said, you know, I know my sheep. 
And so there's a sense of personal involvement. And one of the things that's beautiful about a congregation where people can know and be known, where you can be a part of the family, is that you can really be known. And, and different churches have different strengths and different advantages to different sized churches. But one of the beautiful things about a church of this size is that it's really possible to be known. You can go into a room with several thousand people and you can walk out of a room with several thousand people and never be interacted with as a person. And so one of the things about a family like this is you'll lean in and step in is that you can know and be known. And shepherds are called to do that. Shepherds are called to bleed for their sheep, to risk their lives. John 10, he will lay down his life for the sheep. That's, that's the, the sign of commitment of a leader who will enter in without fear, without, with great courage into the heartaches and lives of their, of their flock. John 10.14 talks about leading. We're going to flesh this out a little bit more, but John says that he, that he oh, that's feed, feed their sheep. And then finally, seek lost sheep. So giving that spiritual food to the sheep, as well as going out and looking for those who've wandered away. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus laments sheep without a shepherd. That they're wandering aimlessly, that they're not protected, that they don't have the protection afforded by a shepherd. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 lists four different kinds of people that God gave as gifts to the church. And the last one is the pastor-shepherd. Evangelist and teaching and exhortation and all those kinds of things that equip the people to do the work of ministry. And again, notice uh, Peter makes it clear whose flock it is. The flock of, read it for me, shepherd well the flock of God that is among you. It's God's flock. Sometimes people say, well, how's your church doing? And I say, first of all, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And it's doing fine. Thanks. So it's God's flock. They are called by God. They belong to God. They depend on God. They are saved by God. And so it's God's church and that He uses leaders along the way. So what is that relationship of leaders and followers like? Well, I believe it's a complementarian role, much like we see as husbands and wives. It's complementary. People have different roles. They are equal before God, and yet they fit together in a way that is so much better than when they are apart. One of the illustrations I like to give of this is, is uh, a driving. Uh, Val and I uh, have had our biggest fights while driving. So I'm going to say this is not the easiest thing in the world, but when it's working right, it really works. And uh, we'll be driving along, and I'll get to, you know, telling stories and waving my hands and everything, and she'll say, hang, hang on to the wheel. I, oh, yeah, okay, that's right. And then she'll say, you know, okay, you know, don't forget we're, gonna, we're about to turn here. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks, that's right, and I'll carry on with my story or whatever. Or she'll be navigating, you know, the, 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 the computer, the uh, phone, and say, you need to turn here and do that. Now, I like to drive. I like to be the one who's driving. If, I, if we're taking a long trip... Uh, I, I like to be behind the wheel. If I'm not behind the wheel, I'm sleeping, right? And, 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 and that works okay for Val because, you know, she'll take over for a while and, and I'll get you know, caught up. And, then, and, and that relationship is complementarian because she's good at giving directions and I like to drive and that's how it works well together. 
Now, somebody has to drive. Somebody has to put the pedal down. You know, we could sit and discuss it in committee about turning left or turning right. You know, well, what should we do here? You know, but meanwhile, traffic is stacking up behind us and people are honking. Well, that, the complementarian of leaders and followers is important. Okay, notice second, the second point in verses 2 and 3. We're going to see the duties and the dangers of a shepherd. Verse 2, exercising oversight. So Peter is continuing on then with the whole exhortation to lead, to shepherd. How do we do that? By exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. According to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. I like the way the message translates this. He says, Here's my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Please, God. Not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. And so you see then, again, the heart of it. But there are duties. So the duties include to exercise oversight. Now the word, again, we get is here was you get bishop or overseer, it means to care for, to inspect, to look upon. First Peter 2.25 translates it as guardian. So there's a sense of, of, of watching over. We see a couple of different phrases here that help us understand this. Prosuo is to, to keep watch over, to turn one's attention to, to pay heed to or pay attention to. If, if uh, one of your kids is learning how to ride their bike and, and uh, you, you, you hover, right? You put your hand on that and then you let your hand go off. There's a, there's a sense of watching over, making sure there isn't anything coming along that's going to cause harm. There's also the word that we use uh, to translate to guard. Again, this signifying spiritual alertness, being vigilant. And there's uh, scripture verses in your outline there that talk about that. I love uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, give us an idea, again, of that whole idea. Keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. For I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So there's a very, very strong sense of protection, of guarding and watching over. And again, it says, according to the will of God. So this is not my will. This is not the whim of, you know, Ben Palm or somebody that says, oh, I just, you know, decided I want to go off this way. No, we're seeking God's will. And so your leaders are praying and they're searching the scriptures and they're saying, Lord, what's next? for Neighborhood Bible Church. And then uh, it also says in that phrase, over those allotted to your charge, your appointed uh, portions, or those who are part of your flock. Think about your family. That's your flock. That's, this church is the flock of the leaders of Neighborhood Bible Church. So, let me, t- let me share a couple of specifics that uh, at Valley Church we found helpful uh, just in terms of what we expect our leaders to do. Now again, let me remind you, this, the context of this text is specifically to elders and pastors. 
But it's not hard for any of you to see application in your own lives to your particular areas of influence. Those places where you have a flock, you have a small group at you know, West Valley Junior College and you're in a class with others who you're working together with. There's always an opportunity to influence positively. Let me just share a couple of these quickly in case you're interested. There are qualifications that Scripture lays out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1-7 through and Titus chapter 1 about what an elder or a leader is supposed to have. Now, some have said, well, that's just for them. I can ignore that portion of Scripture because I'm not an elder. Not at all. These are all things that we seek to uh, emulate ourselves, to be above reproach, to not be somebody who's a fighter or a drunkard or some of those kinds of things. It just makes it very clear. This is the standard we are to shoot for. We were interviewing an elder uh, candidate at Valley recently. He said, gosh, I read through that list and I feel totally inadequate. And we say, well, welcome to the club. It's by grace you are saved through faith, right? No, nobody's boasting about this. We're all people in process, but there is a certain level of qualification. And anyone who's ever been in a position of leadership, I, I see others who I know have been used by God in pastoral and leadership positions here, know it's a very humbling thing to say, God, by your grace, I'm, I'm leading here. So qualification. Vision. Elders lead the church in accomplishing its purposes. We're here today on Sunday morning in the rain, uh, not because we didn't have anything better to do or sleeping in, especially on, on um, uh, the time change, you know, uh, um, what's it called? Daylight savings, thank you. Especially on daylight savings time, you say, well, I didn't have anything better to do. No, we have a bigger purpose to accomplish. We have a great commission to get done. And so the vision of that is what drives your leaders. Provision, we already talked about feeding with spiritual food. Reproduction, the idea of bringing up new leadership, new uh, gifted, qualified, excited people to expand the ministry. There's an element of administration. Acts chapter 6 says, oh, we need somebody to feed some, to, to, to break some bread here and pass it out. And the leaders go, hmm, I don't know, what are we going to do here? Let's figure it out. So there is an element of administration. There's protection from those who are outside bringing false doctrine in, and hurtful ways and, and things that distort the truth. And then there's protection needed from inside. You've had those squabbles or strife or power plays or uh, unqualified leadership, things like that that have happened within, and the duties of a shepherd say, I, I need to lean into that. And then finally, purification, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, again, make it clear that we can all go off track a little bit, right? We all, like sheep, have gone astray, myself included. And so you as shepherds and you as sheep, we all need somebody watching over us to say, hey, hey come on back on the path. And that kind of purification is very, very important. So those are some of the duties of a shepherd. Let's talk about the dangers of leading. And uh, again, if you've been in a leadership position, you know that there are certain things that can come under your way, uh, in your way. You can become discouraged. You can become burnt out. You can get uh, wrong motives, all those kinds of things. I think Peter covers these beautifully. Look at verse 2. How are we to lead? He says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. So we need to check our mindset. Check your mindset. Compulsion means to do something by force, to be made to do something by force. So if you're being forced to lead, you're being forced to say, get out there in front, it's probably the wrong thing. 
So stated positively, we would say there has to be an attitude of willingness. I, I want to do that. I, I'm, I'm a little afraid. I'm a little scared. I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work out, but I'm venturing forward in, uh, these, in advancing the kingdom of God. Paul said to, to young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1, he said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by His appearing in His kingdom, to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And you just sense this. I'm ready. Coach, put me in. How can I serve? How can I help? What can I do? So, a story is told of a man who was sleeping soundly one morning and his wife came in, shook him and said, Honey, you got to get up. you got to get out of bed. And he groaned and he complained and he said, give me three good reasons why I have to get up this morning. And she said, well, first of all, it's Sunday morning and uh, it's only right to be in church. Secondly, uh, it's only 40 minutes till church starts so you don't have much time. And third, you're the pastor and you need to go. Uh, uh, the dangers of uh, having an unwilling attitude can creep in. I read a book a couple of years ago at a point in time where I needed to be reminded of what shepherding and leading was about. I was in a period of discouragement of my own, and I, I read a book called Dangerous Calling by Ted Tripp. And he, and, and he shared some of the, the, those same kinds of things and shared some statistics that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry permanently each month in America. That 80% of pastors and 85% of their spouses feel discouraged in their roles. That over 50% of pastors' wives feel that their husband's decision to enter the ministry was the most destructive thing to ever happen to their families. That 1 in 10 ministers will actually retire a minister. It's, it's a dangerous calling. It's, it's, it's easy to get discouraged. I remember when I was a student at San Jose State and I was considering going into the ministry and somebody said to me, if you can do anything else, you should do it. And uh, of the crew of guys that I've started ministry with, and Dan and I have known the same group of guys for many, many years, a crew of them that started saying, yeah, we're going to serve the Lord in ministry, there's a handful that, that still are doing that. So it is a dangerous calling, and we have to check our mindset to make sure we're doing it because God is leading us. Secondly, we have to check our motivation. Notice he says in verse 2, not for sordid gain. I like the King James Version, uh, not for filthy lucre. <laughs> I don't even know what lucre is, but filthy just sounds so, ugh, right? And he says, you know, you got to make sure you're not doing it to advance yourself financially, you know, which is a little funny uh, coming from the evangelical tradition that we've come from. But uh, if you think worldwide, uh, there is a lot of opportunity for filthy lucre in the ministry. Uh, just look at some of the top ten richest pastors. You know, there's a lot of opportunity. And Peter knew this. He knew that, that, that leaders would be in a position to advance themselves personally. And he says, that cannot be your motivation. Now listen, I'm not for you know making the pastor live at poverty level just to keep him humble. But there is a, a temptation and there is a danger that somebody might, might uh, manipulate things for their own advantage. 
Greedy for money implies that there are opportunities to make gain from ministry. But I also think this could be related not just financially, but then also for the love of reputation or position, to build themselves up emotionally, right? To, to, to play the violin of, of, oh, woe is me, and have people come up, and oh, no, you know, it must be so hard, right? I was at a, uh, I was at a conference with Francis Chen, and, and uh, well, you know, me and like a thousand other people were with Francis Chen. I, I wasn't with Francis Chen, but. And uh, somebody said, uh, said to him at one point in time, Hey, Francis, how do you feel about having your picture on the cover of a magazine? They'd had some magazine. They put it on every chair. And his picture was on the front. And he said, how do you feel about having your picture? And he said, I love it. And it scares me to death. I love it. You know, the two most dangerous things a pastor can do are, one, is to believe what people say about you, and number two, to believe what people say about you. Number one, people say, oh, you're the greatest, oh, you've done so well, oh, you're awesome, oh, you're fantastic. You know, I mean, hey, be careful when you praise your pastor that way, okay? The, the, the head can explode with pride. But the other danger is that the people will believe, you know, what are you doing in the pulpit? Uh, that's the most painful sermon I've ever heard. Listening to you is like, you know, Diving into a swimming pool full of broken glass. Why are you, you know, and you go, I'm, I'm just going to go drive a truck for a living, which is, which is fine to drive a truck for a living. But, you know, there are, I mean, I don't know, Ben, if you've ever had a Monday morning where you're like, uh, could I do something else, please, Lord, Jesus, anything? And so you have to be careful of your motivation. Again, stated positively, there must be an attitude of eagerness. And I'm, I'm blessed to work with a group of people at uh, Valley Church, and I'm blessed to be uh, related to a group of people here who love the Lord and love you and love ministry. And so keeping the motivation and keeping the mindset in, 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 in view has been super helpful. Uh, the, the third thing that he mentions is uh, checking your manner. Look at verse 3. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. That is just so critical. Not lording it over. There's a book out that I saw called Church Abuse or something like that, where people have been beaten up by leaders. You know, people who've gotten the idea, no, God has spoken to me and this is the way it is and you better do it, otherwise watch out, God is going to get you. And as Chuck mentioned, you know, we have one rule for faith and practice, and it's God's Word. And so if your leaders come back and, you know, all of a sudden everybody's got to wear green because green is God's color, and we've got one person in the congregation who's, you know, who's holy and the rest of you, oh well, you know, and you go, what in the world are you talking about? You say, let's go back to Scripture, right? Not lording it over, but proving to be examples. Lead by example. Lead by, by being as Jesus was in John 13, the washer of other people's feet. The one who's the first to say, let me help, let me do that, let me, let me be a part of things like that. So again, in your own sphere of leadership, how are you doing in your neighborhood? How are you doing on your job? How are you doing in your school, on the PTA board? Are you, are you leading with the proper mindset? Are you, are you diving in with the proper kind of motivations? And how is your manner in your family? 
Dads, how is your manner in leading in your home? Are you doing it in a way that is, that is tender and compassionate, courageous? Yes. But, but again, right out of the right motives. All right, let's take a look then as Peter continues. Verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you, and again, who are the you? It's any of those who are in a position of leadership will receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, point number three is the return and reward of the shepherd. The return and the reward of the shepherd. Uh, Jesus is going to return. And the, notice, again, the beautiful analogy, the chief shepherd. He's the chief shepherd is, who is coming back. And uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, calls him the, sh- the great shepherd of the sheep. And so we all follow Jesus, the shepherd, and we follow under him, and he will reward us. I like to say, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is the chief shepherd. I'm just a sheep dog. I just bark a lot and nip at people every once in a while and have a good time running around. I, I, I'm under the guidance and direction of the master shepherd. And Peter talked about this unfading crown of glory that's going to be given to each of us in whatever realm of leadership we have. So how are you doing with your flock? How's the chief shepherd looking down on your sphere of influence? I see high school students here and you say, well, I don't have any sphere of influence. Do you have a crew? Do you have a, a, a I don't know, what's the, what's the cool term these days, guys? Do you have a posse? Is that out? <laughs> yeah, they're like, whatever, right? Well, whatever that group of people that are around you, how are you influencing them for the gospel in the Great Commission how are you leading? Not, not maybe with title, but just by mindset and heart. What kind of words will Jesus have for you? He's going to return and reward each of us for our faithfulness. How are you doing in your sphere with your posse? All right, fourth. Uh, yeah, so there's the first Peter uh, 2.25. Now, I, I, I bring this last on purpose because now... This is a word to the sheep, right? We've been, we've been kind of banging away on shepherds. We've been banging away on leaders. We've been banging away on those who are at the, at the, uh, the leadership position. Notice verse 5. This is fascinating. You younger men, likewise, be subject to the elders. Now, why does he pick on young men? Why does he pick on young men? And having, believe it or not, been a young man at one point in time, uh, I remember thinking, well, what is that guy doing up there? I know better than him. I've got some good ideas too. Hey, what about me? Put me in, coach. You know, I'm ready. And he says, hey, watch it. Be careful. Be subject to your elders. And clothe yourselves with humility. All of you. This is not just towards young men. This is to all of us as sheep. As I mentioned before, we're an independent, non-denominational Bible church. We love that word independent, don't we? I'm independent. I'll do what I want to do. I'm not going to have anybody tell me what I need to do. And then I'm non-denominational. Woohoo! I can be just as weird as I want to be. Right? And put on top of that, we're Americans, right? We're not going to serve any king here. You put all that together, and the question I have is, are we more independent, non-denominational American than we are biblical? It says, it says, be subject to your elders. It's what the scripture says. I'm not making this up. 
Clothe yourselves, literally, fashion with a knot onto yourselves humility under your leaders. That's a hard role. They need your support. They need your guidance. They need your encouragement. But they also need you to follow. And a spirit of sacrificial leadership, whether it's in the home or it's in the neighborhood or it's in the job, a spirit of sacrificial leadership should make it easy to follow. Godly leadership should lead to an attitude of humble respect. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, as that would be unprofitable for you. I mean, those are two words we don't like to read very often, do we? Obey and submit. Because they keep watch over you in this family. They weep when you weep. They labor in prayer over you when your family is in disarray or your marriage is broken. I know I have prayed with them for those situations with you. Because it would not be profitable if they can't lead you with joy. Now that doesn't mean there aren't disagreements, and that doesn't mean we come and look at Scripture together. But, but, but there's a lack of profit that comes, and which is why they're here. They're here for your spiritual profit. So here's the question I ask you. Are you bringing joy to your leaders or grief? Or nothing? We should all act in humble and willing service, in submission first to God, but also to one another, including our elders. So again, let me ask you as we wrap up what what your realm, what your circle, what your flock is. How are your motivations? How are your qualifications? How is your influence of those around you going? And then how is it going with your leadership here? Are you encouraging them? Are you blessing them? Are you understanding the the, the difficulty of, of the, the ministry and, and blessing them and being a part of it. I encourage you that you will. And I, I wrote some discussion questions. I hope you'll take a look at them and, uh, and dive in. There's some additional scripture verses to look at and, and some places where you can put this into practice in your, your own hearts and lives. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for what you've done at Neighborhood Bible Church. Thank you that we're your people, we're your flock, we're your sheep. And we listen for your voice, Lord. We listen for your instructions on where to go and what to do and how to be and how to love one one another. God, we listen for your voice on on, uh, what the Scriptures say and what we're to be about. God, in those times where we don't see things the same, would you, by your Holy Spirit, just apply the the healing love of... of, uh, our chief shepherd, to guide and direct in all things. We love you, Lord. We're so glad that you've, you've cared for us in this way in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.